Hello everybody and welcome to episode 77 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's a serial entrepreneur, having developed and led numerous ventures ranging from healthcare, software companies, consulting firms, outsourcing operations, and tech-enabled service businesses. He had the opportunity to serve clients ranging from the military, Fortune 500 firms, major health systems, middle market ventures, growth stage firms, and ground zero startups. Within the healthcare space, he is passionate about developing ventures or solutions that improve practitioner engagement and cohesion, extend capabilities and patient access through telemedicine, improve patient experience, and reduce costs through consolidation and automation. He has a 27-year track record of assembling and leading cohesive, synergized teams that collectively accomplish great things. It is my pleasure to welcome Anthony Begando. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure having you. You know, Anthony, I'm so excited to be speaking to you today because I know your company, Professional Credentials Exchange, has come up with an innovative idea on leveraging blockchain for healthcare. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Certainly. Um, again, thank you again for having me this evening. Uh, you know, I have been working in and around the credentialing and practitioner identity space for many, many years doing, as you mentioned, consulting work, software engineering, uh, uh, outsourced operations. And, you know, this problem or this, this, this activity, credentialing, is, a, um, is a, a process that often takes anywhere from four to six months from the time an organization says we would like to recruit or contract with a practitioner uh, all the way through the, 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 the process of you know, getting that practitioner enrolled with the payer contracts uh, that that organization may hold. Um, you know, in general, you know, that four to six month process, you know, is often impeded by the simple process of gathering and verifying different credential elements that are collected as a, as a or in the process of, of appointing that practitioner to a clinical staff or enrolling that practitioner, you know, in a particular payer contract. Now, just as background, credentialing itself is a very important, uh, you know, process. It intends uh, to make sure that a specific practitioner is clinically uh, appropriate and competent for performing in a very specific clinical setting right? Whether it's a hospital or an outpatient clinic or a surgery, uh, you know, suite or at a telemedicine organization. Um, you know, every organization has their nuanced differences. Uh, for example, a surgery, a surgeon may, uh, you know, work at one hospital that uses a Da Vinci device and a cyber knife and three or four other robotic, you know, type of, of, of uh, instruments where another surgery, uh, surgery suite at another hospital maybe has one of those, you know, instruments available. And what credentialing does is it, it looks at the, a, a particular individual's experience, um, you know, training, uh, real history in terms of the actual work that's being performed currently and, and in the past relative to the specific procedures that that practitioner would like to perform, you know, within, again, that setting. And, you know, in order to, to assemble the information that's needed to complete that credentialing work, you know, uh, practitioners often ask to provide scores of different documents, uh, and then the the medical staff services personnel at an organization, uh, then you know additionally uh, you know uh, go and, and request and consume 
a whole other batch of credentials information to sort of build this dossier around, you know, around an individual practitioner, right? Um, some of the credentialing elements that are, that are required are very easy to obtain. Most licenses, for example, most board certifications, uh, an OIG query, um, an FS, I'm sorry, MPDB query, you know, all are standard elements, and it takes a few minutes to gather those. However, um, a lot of the credentialing information that are required, things like employment verifications, employment histories, um, postgraduate medical education for things like residency and fellowship programs, malpractice insurance information and claims investigations, uh, delineations of privileges and privilege counts or procedure counts uh, for the actual work that the practitioner has done now or is doing now and is, has done in the past. And those latter things that I've just described are typically the items that take weeks or months to acquire from different healthcare organizations in the marketplace. So what we are doing is building an exchange for organizations to, to basically uh, uh, you know, uh, present and consume information from other members of the exchange relative to verified credentials, right? So you know, the number one objective of this exchange is to dramatically reduce the cycle time associated with this independent redundant collection of information by all parties that must, you know, perform this credentialing process, you know, and, and create a networked, if you will, you know, database, for example, of information, um, you know, that's stored at all these different member sites, you know, and create a way for, uh, for members to not only request credentials, but also uh, consume and offer credential, verify credential information up for other members of the exchange to acquire and consume as well. Now, can you talk towards some of the uh, reasons why someone would want to uh, speed up the process, for example? Like, what's wrong with the manual process today? That's sure that, you know, I know there are lots of things. <laughs> well, it's a very good question. You know, let's look at um, a, you know, a very simple use case, and that is a, a a practitioner or a physician in this case, a physician wanting to be employed, uh, you know, at a hospital, seeking employment in a hospital, and then the subsequent enrollment of that practitioner in the hospital's payer contracts that they maintain, right? As I mentioned before, it's about a four to six month long process. And every single day, you know, according to a survey done in 2016 by Mary Hawkins, every single day that that practitioner is not billing in that hospital setting, the hospital's forfeiting about $7,500 of revenue, net revenue, right? So if you look at a 20-day work, uh, work month, that hospital's you know, forfeiting about $150,000 a month. And if you're looking at this process, it takes four to six you know, months to, to, to execute. You're talking about somewhere between $600,000 and $900,000 of forfeited revenue while all of this paperwork plays out. And our mission, you know, around this whole, you know, uh, process is to greatly reduce that cycle time, right? So if we were able to shave, let's say, even 20 days off of that cycle time, you know, that would result in a $150,000 revenue, a net revenue plug directly to the bottom line of that, of that organization, right? So there's significant uh, incentive for hospitals, you know, and delivery side, whether telemedicine or outpatient or what have you, 
you know, organizations, you know, to, to shorten the cycle time and, you know, see that revenue potential come back into the organization, right? Um, you know, for practitioners, um, you know, we did a, a, a quick study in the Nashville market. And in that market, the average practitioner maintains credentials with three separate hospitals, um, maybe, you know, one or two outpatient clinics, um, a, maybe a telehealth organization, and 22 different payer contracts, right? So net-net about, I think it's about 28 different organizations you know, this, the practitioner is basically independently managing and distributing information by between these organizations to keep their credentials current, right? If those credentials fall out of compliance on the payer side, they're no longer eligible for payment. In most cases, you know, on the deliver side, they're no longer able to deliver care. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a disaster, you know, if, if that happens for the practitioner. And what we're creating for the practitioner is one single place where they can maintain the credentials that all members of the exchange are asking for from that practitioner and giving them a simple consolidated way of, of both, you know, responding to requests for credentials as well as updating those organizations with changes to their data. You know, for example, a renewed license, um, you know, a new practice address, uh, a, uh, you know, an updated training certificate, what have you, and letting those organizations know immediately that these changes have taken have taken place, right? I should also note that credentialing is a perpetual process. So, you know, when an or, a practitioner goes to work in an organization initially, um, you know, they have to become initially credentialed. But on the delivery side, you have to re-credential that practitioner every two years, and on the payer side, every three years. So, if you can imagine, you, you know, you have this set of data that you're just constantly sending updates to. And in the current market, and, has, and this has always been the case, you know, those organizations rarely communicate with each other, right? So the practitioner themselves is forced to play arbiter in getting this information, you know, pushed around. We're giving them an opportunity to consolidate all of that work and greatly simplify the administrative burdens that are placed upon them, right, in, in this regard. On the payer side, you know, many payers – you know, uh, they face the same problem. It takes months to get, you know, a, a practitioner enrolled within a specific plan. And, you know, they want to make that enrollment process much simpler, right? They want to, in most cases, make it simpler. They want to, you know, simplify the credentialing ask. If, if that information exists somewhere in the marketplace, gather it for the practitioner or, or from these organizations uh, and ask the practitioner for the three or four things maybe that they're specific to their plan that they need. Right. Um, you know, furthermore, uh, payers represent huge, especially national payers, huge data sets of this credentials information, verified credentials information already. Right. And, and, you know, they have a significant opportunity to help monetize this massive data set that they have for acquisition by other members of the healthcare market that would like to have access to those, you know, verify that verified data. Right. Um, you know, and I, I also feel that, you know, that for some, you know, for some payers, there's, you know, just a, a, a burning need for data concurrence, meaning that, you know, if something changes in a practitioner's, uh, you know, life, employment, what have you, that they know about that as soon as possible so they can update, you know, different components of their own information like directory data and others. I do want to say, though, for the record, that uh, we are not in the directory data business, but we can certainly help support that maintenance process, you know, that data by providing updates to credentials or any information that supports directory data.
Wow. So, so let me get this straight. Um, you have, for example, a, a provider. It takes a month to get a credential, and he's got to update it every two years. And if he misses the facts, uh, or if the payer misses the facts, then you got to start all over again. Yes. Well, you, you know, you can be you can out of compliance with no longer eligible for reimbursement in the payer case. Um, you know, and, and you know, uh, um, you know, a, a right. I give you an, an outstanding example of, of that. You know, I, I uh, have a colleague here in Florida who uh, is runs a very specific uh, surgical procedure clinic. You know, at a local hospital here. He recently hired a uh, a surgeon from Emory University Hospital up in Georgia, and I think he said it took him 14 months to get that person licensed in Florida, credentialed, privileged, and and able to actually start seeing patients. And you know, in 2018, I, I'm sorry, but that is just unex or inexcusable, right? You know, and, and then four months later, he's got to do it all over again. Well, you know, two two years after the appointment, right, has has taken place. But yeah, and it's 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 a, a hugely frictional process in 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 the administrative side of, of the healthcare business. So this is fairly significant. Now, so what are the components of this exchange, and why blockchain? So it's a great question. There are, there are three very specific um, you know components of this solution. First, you know, we had to address the problem around the data itself. You know, credentials data is very unstructured. Uh, there is no standard definition for most types of credentials. And furthermore, an, an organization can deem anything a quote unquote credential, right? Uh, so therefore, you know, you have to build a data model that supports this very disparate, you know, structuring of data. Um, you know, and, and we've done, we've, you know, we've, we've addressed that. Uh, the second component is analysis of the information. You know, once you can organize the information in a way where you can, you know, you can, you can structure it as it lies, per se, right, and not try to you know, jam it into some sort of, you know, un, you know structured model, per se, um, then we can analyze that information. And rather than having an individual sitting at a table with 85 pages of paper and fingering through it, Literally looking at it, saying, "Do I have this? Do I have this? Do I oh look, you know, about this information? Oh, I see something that's conflicting here. Does the data align? Is it you know you know in terms of its in terms of its concurrence? Um, you know, and if there are problems or questions, do I have the supplemental information here to answer those questions so that our reviewing uh, medical staff members can feel comfortable that that uh, you know we we've, we've gone through that process initially to to, to vet out the practitioner's background and information." You know, um, so the second component of what we've done is create an analytics engine to look at this now, organize data, and at least on the first pass, you know, try and, and you know, ferret out that information. You know, in, in my personal experience in the past, it probably takes on average about 70-ish minutes for a skilled, you know, um, uh, senior level uh, uh, credentialing staff member to go through that whole file analysis and make sure that everything is there and it's compliant and so forth, right? We, as in, in our early testing, you know, we have, we have been able to look at thousands of practitioner files in less than two seconds 
to determine whether or not they're compliant with the rules and the and the requirements for a specific organization. You know, that demonstrates the power of artificial intelligence and 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 rules engines and so forth and what they can do from an analysis perspective, you know, right away. Right. The third component of what we're doing is blockchain, right? And you know, uh, there's a huge amount of noise, as you all know, in the marketplace around blockchain. Um, but you know, we look at blockchain as being where the web was, the internet was, probably 1995 ish, right? And meaning it's just coming to market. It's just being considered for enterprise applications, and you know, and the runway for the utilization of this technology is long and wide, right? So, you know, so we're leveraging blockchain to do one core thing with our exchange, and that is provide trust, right? We're not creating a cryptocurrency. We're not creating, you know, um, an ICO or anything else here, you know, and all this. We're leveraging blockchain technology to ensure that when an artifact is, is made available within the exchange, the consumer of that artifact knows the provenance and where the, that information came from, uh, the, the fact that the information entered you know, into the exchange and has never changed, it's never modified, um, and we also are using it to record and ledger all of the transactions that have taken place with that particular piece of information so that other parties can know that 38 different organizations have used this data and it's been verified by X dozens or hundreds in some cases, you know, organizations in the past, right? And know that what they're looking at is reliable, that it's verified and can be relied upon in their organization, you know, uh, as well. So you bring up a good point with regards to trust. Now, with regards to an article posted by Forbes, and I'll read to you what they say. We have an epidemic of health data breaches across the country, and 40% of those breaches come from people who already have access to health records in some form or another, what we call insiders. How do you address the governance of the data inside the blockchain? That's another great question. So, you know, first of all, I do want to be very clear that, that the blockchain stores are ledgers, in, 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 in all accuracy, transactions. Right, the, the the blockchain creates a, a a a list of transactions that can never change. Right, um, we don't store, and nor should most other organizations store data on the blockchain. Right, rather, you know that data if in, in a data intensive application like credentialing should be stored in a secure repository, at, you know, and only pointed to that makes sense from the chain. Right. So further, you know, um, you know, this information, is, a lot of it's public, but a lot of it's very private and very personal. Um, and, you know, practitioners do not want uh, unauthorized folks to have access to this data, right? So we put the practitioner in control of their information. They determine who has access to not only the macro data, but also components of that data um, you know, where the practitioner feels that there is an appropriate need for sharing of that information. You know, and using this methodology, we can much, you know, create a very tight, you know, wrapper around the security of that data and not expose it, you know, on a, you know, in many cases, how these, how these other health systems have been breached, you know, in a, in a place where somebody gets somebody's login credentials and all of a sudden they're, you know, they've got access to this data, right? Um, you know, I, I think further, you know, we're, 
Um, very much, you know, focused on leveraging uh, Microsoft's Azure platform we have for years uh, in the development of this. And, you know, they have a very strong security protocol and, you know, um, we're very comfortable with what they have, have to offer in this regard. So uh, I really love what I hear. Uh, so would, uh, would a, uh, an accurate use case, for example, be a scenario where um, practitioners would publish a links, web links, for example, to access their credential information? No, it, it works actually the other way. So an organization requests from the practitioner uh, access to their credentials and what information specifically they're requesting. Right? And the practitioner then receives this request. We have, a, we have an application for them to utilize. Um, in, in, you know, for example, say on your smartphone, you get a, a message saying that Mercy Hospital would like to have access to your, your, to your credentials, and you review the request, and you grant that access there and then. Right? And again, both at the macro level and in some cases at the micro level, it's regarding certain elements of their files, right? Um, so, you know, they are in control, you know, for both, you know, providing access to as well as, um, you know, as well as revoking access if necessary or what have you, you know, going forward, right? Also, I might, I should mention that, um, you know, the practitioners can also specify delegates, which is very important in this industry you know, their office manager or their credentialing uh, team leader or what have you to have access and, and access, provide access rights to requesting parties or provide information requests, fulfill information requests, I'm sorry, from requesting parties, you know, you know, on the exchange. That sounds very similar to the process when somebody would grant uh, access to their company Facebook account or, you know, or Google account, for example, where they yeah. could... Uh, set up the admin, uh, administrators. That, that's, right. that's right. But, you know, I think, you know, Avram, I think it's very important in this specific regard, you know, to, to help to help practitioners understand that, you know, we care about their privacy and we care about their data. And, you know, we're not out, you know, selling their data um, at all, right? You know, or providing it to others for marketing purposes or what have you. Rather, we're giving them a place to organize this information and distribute it amongst the different parties in the, in the industry that want to have access to it. Um, but we really do put them at the center of this regarding access to give them the assurances that they need that, that you know, their, their data is, is protected and that it's, it's secure and that it's not being used for nefarious purposes. For sure. And I'm sure that that would be one of the first questions people will ask you when they find out about that. So that's a really great point. Right. And, and you know, I think it's important to note too that, you know, that, that what is being traded amongst members of the exchange, you know, are not the credentials themselves, rather the verifications of those credentials, right? That, that someone has gone out and said, this is in fact, you know, what it says it is, and I contacted this organization and I spoke to this person and I verified this using this method and you know, it can be trusted, right? That's the labor and the, and the value that's put into you know, uh, that verification. And then that, is, that verification becomes the digital asset that's then being traded on the exchange amongst other counterparties you know, who, who might request that you know, currently in the future. That's a great explanation, I like that.
So Anthony, healthcare is a huge market here in the United States and for sure globally. How does a solution like this scale effectively? That's another great question. You know, um, you know, we would never be successful trying to chisel away at 5,300 hospitals, 975 payers, you know, and ten, tens of thousands of outpatient clinics and so forth, you know, to, to bring something that created some very, you know, short-term value to the market, right? And, you know, um, our strategy is very simple. You know, we're going out and, and working with uh, or, or recruiting very large um, managers or very large owners of this data, like national payers, uh, very large health systems, uh, very large outpatient uh, specialty organizations, um, recruiting and contract medical staffing organizations, you know, who have at least tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or even millions of credential data sets in the systems that they use today, right? And by doing so, you know, remember I mentioned earlier, we have all this overlap and redundancy everywhere in the marketplace, right? And by bringing, uh, you know, even a handful, let's say 15 or 20 of these large national and super regional organizations to the market, we can create a very significant data set that probably covers over the vast majority of practitioners who are active in the U.S. and the vast majority of the credentials that other organizations would require. So we, we, we build this initial, you know, network, and then we, as, as members join, we just simply, you know, you know aggregate that, that information and, and membership information, or membership presence, I should say, um, you know, very quickly. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is we don't need thousands of organizations on the exchange to create, you know, a robust set of verified information for others to consume. It's quite the opposite. We need probably... I don't know, mathematically, maybe 20 to 30 total big organizations to probably cover 95-ish percent of active, you know, private sector physicians. And like then, the 80-20 rule. Yeah, ex exactly, right? So, you know, it, it, it's, you know, that's how we're scaling. And, you know, we will be making some announcements over the next several weeks relative to uh, our initial members. Um, I, I think you'll find it quite impressive. And, you know, we will be able to leverage their, you know, their capabilities and their, you know, data sets to create a fairly large scale marketplace, even within our pilots. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Great. Anthony, what in your opinion are the keys to building a successful application leveraging blockchain technology? Well, there are three core components to success in this market, right? And it's very difficult to find a solution where all three of these components align, right? The first is your, you know, your business model, right? You know, is, does the business model make sense for a blockchain oriented solution or supported solution, I should say, right? You know, it, you know, if you're trying to create a solution where you have a very closed network of, of companies or individuals, let's say, um, you know, blockchain isn't a great fit for that, you know, private blockchain, doesn't really, in my personal opinion, I'm sure there's folks that argue with me about this, but I don't think a private blockchain makes much sense at all, right? If you have a private closed network, you don't need blockchain. You can create a simple ledgering system or transaction processing system to support that just fine, right? So you need something where you have, you know, something like credentialing where it's a universal process. You know, there is something that already exists that you're using blockchain to help facilitate, right? The next leg of the stool, per se, is the technology model, right? As I mentioned earlier, right, you know, blockchain is not a 
database. Blockchain is a transactional ledger, right? And a distributed ledger. Um, and if you try and store, or you build a, a technical solution that, that assumes you're gonna store things on the blockchain that are data intensive, like images, like pervasive and credentialing, right? Like large sets of, of, of data, um, Word documents, for example, you know, it, it's, it'll crush the performance of the, of the chain, right? It, it's not meant for that kind of stuff, right? The third layer stool is the governance model, right? How do you, how do you govern, you know, your, your solution? And in our case, you know, our members of the exchange will govern the exchange, right? They will be, you know, our, we'll have a governance committee that does rulemaking, that sets policy, and you know that that um, assists with disputes or conflicts, what have you, you know, and we will facilitate that um, exchange and and the work. But you know that governance model, you know how you're going to you know bring this huge group of organizations together, you know, and, and, and find you know compliance and cohesiveness, you know, must be governed by the, the folks who have the right incentives, right, and and make things work. Great. So Anthony, we have a few questions from the audience. Great. Our first question is from Ken Heron. He's the chief marketing officer of intelligent IoT messaging company Unified Inbox in Orlando, Florida. Ken says, hi, Anthony. If you were to ask three smart people what blockchain is, you'd likely get three, if not more, different answers. As patients are one of healthcare's key stakeholders, how do you suggest blockchain, how it is being used and why, be explained to patients. So, you know, you're right with regard, or Ken's right, I should say, you know, there's all kinds of noise out there around blockchain, right? A lot of, a lot of buzz and, and frankly, a lot of misinformation in all candor, right? Um, you know, I, 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 would, I, I describe blockchain from a simplistic perspective as such. It is a method of moving trust to the software, right? It, it, it is a way of creating a infrastructure where centralized control and authority of information is no longer required, right? Where you can rely upon getting a piece of information that has been ledgered on a blockchain and know that it's real or at least trust that it's real, right? Um, you know, block, as, as I mentioned before, blockchain is a collection of, of longstanding technologies, you know, cryptography and, and encryption and so forth, right? That have been around in some cases since the 80s. But the way that it's been, that it has been architected, at least in the version one of blockchain, which is Bitcoin, I guess, and other cryptocurrencies, you know, to where it's evolving now into much more enterprise-oriented, you know, solutions, you know, I, I, I think it's important for patients and others to know that, you know, blockchain is that trust layer. You know, and, and if you think about it from a software engineering perspective, you know, we have, you know, we sort of have always had, you know, or at least in modern times, we've had, you know, your logical layer, which is your software programs, right? Your data layer, which is the information and your user experience, you know, which is, you know, uh, the view of that information. Blockchain now is another layer on top of that, which is trust. I love your explanation because I started my career as a software developer, so you speak my language. There you go. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so our next question is from Bennett Bayer. He's the formal global chief marketing officer at Huawei and longtime Microsoft distributor and channel champion in Seattle, Washington. Bennett asks, 
How do you separate blockchain from the cryptocurrency discussion? Uh, another great question. You know, um, I, I, well, I, I think the best way to describe it is cryptocurrency is a function of blockchain, right? You know, a cryptocurrency uses a blockchain infrastructure to support its exchange, right? And, you know, you know, um, there's also, gosh, a lot of noise around, you know, cryptocurrency as well. And I, I think the easiest explanation or simplest explanation is, you know, cryptocurrencies exist because of blockchain, right? And blockchain has facilitated an environment where uh, someone can create a, a, a monetary or uh, value-based exchange of value, if that makes any sense, um, you know, and it's blockchain that's providing the trust amongst counterparties to buy and sell whatever cryptocurrency or other value, you know, based token or what have you that is being traded, you know, in, in, in a market, right? And it, it is the blockchain lever, layer that's facilitating the trust that, you know, lets you and I know, even though we don't know who each other, or we don't know each other, you know, lets you and I be comfortable with the fact that you're going to buy something from me and I'm going to sell something to you and you're going to get your asset and I'm going to get paid. Right. So that's, you know, really the fabric behind all these cryptocurrencies. Great. Uh, Anthony, how do people connect with you? Um, in terms of, you know, reaching out and, and, and uh, so forth, you know, I use LinkedIn like crazy. Um, I, you know, I think it's a fantastic infrastructure for communicating with other business people. So, you know, um, my LinkedIn profile um, is, I believe, uh, A.D. Begando, um, you know, on the, on, the, on the LinkedIn network. Um, and you can look me up directly by just spelling my last name, B-E-G-A-N-D-O, Anthony Begando. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to connect and, you know, share ideas and, and so forth, right? You can also go to our website, which is called ProCredX.com, P-R-O-C-R-E-D-E-X.com, and communicate, uh, you know, with us and converse with us there. Um, a third way of communicating uh, with us is via the HashedHealth.com uh, website. You know, HashedHealth is a joint venture partner with us in, in ProCredX and a co-founder, uh, you know, of the, of the organization. And at their website, HashedHealth.com, uh, you can go to the blog as well as, you know, the, uh, you know, there's a communication infrastructure there for, you know, participating in active ongoing discussions you know, with other members of the healthcare community to answer questions like uh, our, our colleagues asked earlier, as well as inquire about, you know, uh, you know, the exchange itself, working with us, and so forth, right? Um, also, folks are interested in becoming a member of the design partner community. Um, you know, we're certainly looking at other applications for that right now. And you can, you know, reach out to me either via LinkedIn or any of the methods I described earlier. I'm happy, you know, to uh, uh, have a conversation about, about that process. Great. And I'll post that information to the show notes so that people can just click on that and get right to you. Great. That sounds excellent. Anthony, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? <laughs> Don't do startups. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. No, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I've been in technology for about, gosh, it's hard to even say now, for about 30 years. Um, and, and uh, you know, back into the mid-90s, you know, uh, when PCs were first, you know, kind of coming to market. And I, in my lifetime, I've seen, you know, three real, 
you know, transformational things that have happened in technology. You know, the first would be the advent of networking PCs back in the late, late 80s and the power that that created and the ability to do things like client-server computing and all that when the mainframe and the mini-computer, you know, ruled the day for, you know, two decades before that, right? Um, you know, the next was the emergence of the Internet and, and web-based applications. And the third is blockchain. And I am, you know, hugely excited about this emergence of this technology. And, you know, I think it's, you know, we're going to see a five to ten year run of this technology really transforming the way that we have used technology, especially software on the Internet, uh, you know, in the past. And I think that we're going to see a lot of answers to a lot of security, uh, you know, data breach kind of problems, and, you know, uh, 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 identity theft and so forth that we're seeing rampantly, you know, uh, you know, running across the internet today, you know, by leveraging blockchain and distributed ledger technology to, to, to create a hardened infrastructure where folks can, you know, control their information, frankly, market their information safely, um, you know, and, and know that transactions that are occurring on the, on the, you know, across internet applications are reliable and secure. Great. Anthony, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you, everyone. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you having me.